Hello and welcome to the Usability Podcast, helping you create better designs, better experiences for your users every single week. I'm Dr. Chris Parker and today we are talking about metrics for satisfaction. Now, what are metrics for satisfaction? Satisfaction is the most important part of your design. Now, you might have a slow website or a fast one. You might have the latest features. You might have all these amazing things going on. But if your users are not satisfied, if they are not really happy with the offering that you're giving them, they're not going to use it. And they're going to find something which is far better because there's so many people out there right now creating stuff that people will find that alternative, they'll hook onto it and leave you in the dust. We saw this famously uh, quite a few years ago when MySpace, the global domination of social media, got taken over by Facebook. You know, everyone abandoned the platform like a bad habit. And now it's still there, but hey, let's be honest, no one used it. Satisfaction is the most important metric. And frankly, it can be hard for designers and managers to determine because we all live in our own shells. We make decisions on our design based a lot of the time on our own intuition and our understanding of the users. With the best one in the world, we can only understand users so much. Once we push a design out there into the world, we don't always know how people are responding to it in the best way. Now, quite often, we'll go and get people to come in, we'll do interviews, do think aloud, we'll do this really often, have an agile system, try to build around and get a good feel of what's going on. But let's be honest, interviews do have a major drawback. Quite often, participants want to tell you what they think you want to hear. They go, oh yeah, well, I'm sure they want to know positive things, I'll tell them positive things, or... I'll try and phrase negatives as if it's something that isn't too bad. And that really doesn't help the team at all. It can be quite difficult to get people into a phase where they're giving brutally honest advice. So design managers and team leaders have some real serious challenges. They need to be able to track their design's impact over time. So, you know, every year they say, well, what, um, what's the design done? How's the the app or the website or whatever it does, how's it improved? You know, can we prove to me that you're really earning the money we're giving you? Um, and managers need to identify what areas need to be redesigned. Um, so you're not just doing it based on your whim of a CEO, it's strategically making your website more satisfying all the time. And designers might be given a long list of features saying, hey, these are things you want to work on, but you got to prioritize your work saying, you know what, we're going to spend 40 hours on this task because this is the one that's really drawing back satisfaction. If we can really nail this one, then everything else falls in place. This other one, which I personally really love and I want to get to work on this, you know, that's actually not that bad. We're going to leave that to the very end. So we need to know how to get this done. Um, and we, then we need to know have our redesigns really worked? I mean, this person's saying they like it, but they say they liked it before, but is this really making the global satisfaction of our work better? Um, at Capital Off, there's a real knowledge gap in the field about how you get data, how you process it effectively. And if you're going to get down the route of measuring stuff, how can you run stats correctly? Now, stats and quantitative metrics and numbers are a fantastic way to measure something because it's putting a benchmark in the sand saying, hey, 
this is where we are now. And we want to get to that point over there. Then after a year, you can say, yep, have we reached the target we set? Have we improved by how much we You know, you can really sort of see things happening um, that you can't quite get with qualitative interviews. Now, why is that? Um, it's because when you have an interview, somebody might say that they're frustrated or they're angry. Um, they might say that they are confused, but how confused are they? Are they mildly confused or very confused? One person's very confused can be quite different. Another person's very confused. So, um, and also you may, maybe you only got one person saying this negative thing, but that's a really important insight that you want to really take on board and work into your design. So qualitative work, I, I love qualitative work. It's a major part of my work as a designer and a researcher, but it doesn't really tell you how much. So when you work on quantitatives, the numbers, you tend to get a better view of what's going on, a better handle on things. Um, we're going to go into why in a second, but going to just backtrack on that knowledge gap. So people have this knowledge gap about we don't know how to do this effectively. So the best way to do that is go on a short course somewhere. Now, if you can find uh, any kind of short course, online course, anything, take it um, about numerical data analysis, data science. These are really great things that are becoming more and more important. Now, luckily these days, we have a great solution, which is YouTube. Um, just go on YouTube and you can find anything. In fact, I run a YouTube channel, Design E-Learning Tutorials. I'm going to link in the show notes about just uh, lots of statistics and data analysis. So look below, you'll see a link to a playlist. Have a look on that and you'll get a really quick intro to dealing with numbers. So I recommend doing that. Um, Another way, if you're brand new to the idea of working with numbers and metrics and maybe a bit scared and thinking, oh God, this is, it's sounding okay. So I like the idea of having things that are measurable, understandable and quantifiable, trackable, but I'm not good at numbers. I'm not good at maths and I'm, I'm a bit scared to try. Don't worry, I've got you covered. If you go on to any library, any bookshop, you search for a book called The Tao of Statistics. And that's Tao is in Taoism or Taoism, uh, T-A-O. And that is uh, the most fantastic book. Firstly, it's short. Secondly, written in simple language. But most importantly, number three, it doesn't contain A numbers. It just talks about what is um, statistics? What is distribution? What is uh, a normal curve? What is a between groups difference? All these fundamental concepts in a way that once you've read through them, you really feel you've got a great understanding. Now, once you've done that and you go, right, I understand the concepts, I want to go and really get some tools um, to really tackle numbers. Another book I can really recommend so highly is the SPSS Survival Manual. Now, that only works if you're using SPSS because, hey, it's an SPSS book of its basics, but you know what? Even if you're using any other software, even Microsoft Excel, uh, LibreOffice, you know what? A bit of um, Google uh, Sheets <laughs> it covers the same principles. It teaches you what to do and how to write it up. So those are my three tips um, for education. Um, YouTube, see the notes for my tutorials, the Tower of Statistics, and the SPSS file menu. Um, let's get right into this. So you've gone out and you've learned a bit more, listen to this podcast, and you think about, right, now I want to do... I want to measure satisfaction, I want to re-understand satisfaction of my users. 
the first thing you've got to think about is what are you testing? There's no such thing as the universal measure of satisfaction. There is uh, different ways of doing it. And I'm going to link below to a list of all the key satisfaction scales and ways of measuring satisfaction. It really is worth taking the time to first consider what do I care about? What do my company or stakeholders care about? What do my users care about? And then go and find a scale which works well to that. Now, the one which I really recommend all the time is the System Usability Scale, SUS. Uh, if you just Google SUS usability, you'll find this really everywhere. It is such a common scale. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but it's a series of questions and you such as, I think I would like to use the system frequently. I found the system unnecessarily complex. I found the system was easy to use. I found I would need to support a technician. <laughs> Sorry, I think that I would need the support of a technical person to be able to use the system and so forth. I'm not going to read through all of them, but just uh, Google it. You'll see the whole list. Now, you just get someone to use your system in a scenario, ideally in a place where they'd actually be using it. So if, they, uh, if it's commuting, if it's an app designed to be used whilst you commute, then get them to use it on a commute. And then when they get to the destination, give them this um, survey and get the numbers. So SUS is my recommendation. Um, because it really goes a holistic view about, is it a good system? Now, all those questions you give a one to five or maybe one to nine Likert scale. Uh, so you're just quantifying whether you agree or disagree with one of those statements. So I'm gonna be focusing rest on that, but everything I'm talking about today works on any other metric you've got. So um, AQA or any of the other ones. But let's stick with SUS, System Usability Scale. So the first thing you're saying is go, right, I've got my scale. I've chosen that and I'm going to be using this to measure the usability of my system every six months and we're going to track the progress. Great. So how many people do I need? So that is a really difficult question to answer as a simple. So I'm going to dive a little bit deeper into that. So the thing that drives the number of people you need is a thing called power. Power is how much muscle your calculation has, which is you got two groups. So it could be people using your website now and people using your website in six months time. Um, you want to detect the difference in satisfaction between those people. Now, if you've made a massive improvement, you've got a large improvement, there's a large difference in satisfaction, then you're going to need less people because the difference is more pronounced. If you've made small tweaks and small differences, then uh, you're going to need lots of people because there's subtleties you've got to try and pull out. So the, how do you calculate sample size? There's some free software called G star power. I'm going to link in the show notes about how to use this, how to download it, because without seeing it, it doesn't really make sense. So podcast format might not be the best one to go into this, but let's go take some general things. If you want to detect a medium sized sample size, you need about 35 people per group. So if you're going to test your website now and then test again in six months time, you need 35 people now and 35 people in six months time. If you're going to be giving two alternative designs to people, that's the same people, then 
you can just get away with 35 because you're going to have those same people on two occasions. So you've still got 60, uh, 70 odd measurements, but it's split in two. So it's all right. Um, if you want to get into real subtleties, you might need a few hundred um, things that are really subtle, going to need like a thousand or so. But if we're assuming that anything which is a medium a difference, medium improvement, 35 is a good, easy to get number. So how do you uncollect this? We're going to go and get 35 people. Um, how do I how do I go and do this? How do I make it happen? Now, I've done this really successfully in the past and projects. The best answer is Google Forms or any other online survey because you can build into this um, on page one saying, hey, here's my website. Here's my app. Go and use it. Here's your scenario. Just, just go and do this thing. Now, if you just email this to somebody, people are generally very good at following written instructions. They can read that. You know, they're meant to use it in a certain way, meant to reflect on things. Um, people are very used to answering surveys. So they can just click through the next page and see some Likert scales, which we all know about and go, yeah, we are. Click, click, click. So if you've got a wide low range of users in a database, um, you can just email this out to them and get them to take part. You might be thinking now, okay, great idea. I can use Google Forms. It's free. I can put things together easily. I can link things up. I can type in my SUS um, Likert scales quite simply because they have, you know, survey functions in Google Forms. But how do I get hold of those people? Right, that's going to be another question. We're going to cover that in a different episode. So um, we're going to jump to the case and assume that you've got uh, a mailing list of friends and part relatives, participants, past people, um, stakeholders, all that. You've got a big email list. You can just push it out to them. Alternatively, you can follow people around with a stack of paper, you know, print out some surveys and do it manually and ask them. That one is harder because you've got to get somebody to read, go out there and be part of it. Time is money. Time is precious. We probably don't have the ability for that. So I'd say, you know what, build the online form, send out to people, include them, and you can get your data very easily. So we've got our sample, which is going to be about 35 people. We've got our test, SUS. We're going out there. We've built our survey on the uh, Google Forms. We've emailed out people. They've answered it. And we've got a big spreadsheet and it's got lots of answers about, you know, on a scale of one to five, how much people agree and disagree with the uh, question. We then run a simple calculation on the data. Now, I'll go into this. Um, SUS, as you might have heard before, it has positive, negatively worded phrases. So if you were to say, I think I, but the question is, do you agree with the statement? I think I would like to use the system. And you say, yeah, I, I think I would. That's five. I, I really want to use this. I totally agree. Um, that's a positive number. Then number two, I found the system unnecessarily complex. Hang on a second. That's negative. Now, if I gave a five to that, you're saying, yeah, I, I really think it was complex. I, th I think it was over the top. I, I think you could make it simpler. So I'm going to put one because it's a really complex website. Um, so now, um, sorry. Get it wrong. I can give it five. It's a complex website. So both um, questions one and two, you give them five to, but they don't mean the same thing. So to work out the score of each individual question, if it's a positive worded question, such as question one, question three, question five, etc., then you go um, their score minus one. So that five becomes a four. And then 
the negatively worded con uh, questions, you can say, well, I found the system of the complex, that's five. You go five minus that score. So five minus five is zero. Um, so we got uh, four for the first question and zero for the second. So now as we know that question two, it's very, very complex. It's not satisfying zero. Um, you take, do this, add all your scores up, times the whole thing by 2.5 and you get a score out of 100. So that's the really simple way of doing the SUS and creating your SUS number. Something to bear in mind, something you can do uh, with the calculator, but you can build it into Excel very easily. If you'd like to know about this, you know, drop us a review and say, hey, I want to know more details about this. Or go on the YouTube version of this, find it, leave a comment and tell me about what you want to know. So we've got our SUS score. We've just calculated it. So how do we deal with this? How do we understand it? So the most basic way of looking at this is saying, um, has my design worked? You know, is it, is it, is it a good design? So a really easy way of doing this is saying, if a score is below 40, it is unacceptable. It's not satisfying enough. If the score is above 70, you can say, yes, the satisfaction is good enough. We're happy with this. So we got the 35 people surveyed, maybe. Um, how do you deal with all the different scores? Well, if you just averaged it and said took the average um, satisfaction, so if the average is below 40, it's not good enough. If the average is above 70, it is good enough. Now that's going to tell you about has your design worked? Quite simple. And you can visualize this in a bar chart. So um, the average SUS score for this time, a little, little bar, then in six months time, we do it again and create another bar and that's going to be higher. It's going to be lower. We'll see. And then six months after that, we have again, so we're just sort of seeing this sort of trend. What you don't want to do is treat every individual person's SUS score as incredible. You don't want to treat the, that as something really special and worth presenting in a bar chart. No, 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 because some people are just really good and some people are really bad. You need to take the average. Um, same thing, rather than bar chart, you could do a line chart. Um, pie charts don't really make any sense here, so I'm just going to completely avoid that. Um, but that's how you'd visualize the overall satisfaction score. So that, so you're going, eh, it's good. Now, if you've got over 70, you carry on, but what if you've got a score below 70? Uh, below 40, maybe. So you've got, maybe you've got a score of 10, something that's really bad. You need to know what you design. Now, for this, Rather than taking that whole calculated score of everything added together and times 0.5, you can make it simpler. Now, still calculate the score for each question. So, you know, if it's a positive question, 5 minus 1, uh, sorry, the score minus 1, if it's a negative question, 5 minus um, the score. And then you want to take the average of each individual question. So, out of all our 35 people, what's the average? rating for number one. What's the average rating for question number two? Um, and go forward like that and you'll be able to then make a bar chart of all of these and see right which one of these are below um, five or below four. You might have some questions where the average score is one or the average score is two or even zero and these are red flags saying hey these parts of your design really need work. So um, 
If, for example, question nine, I felt very confident using the system, if that was a low score, then people aren't really sure what to do. They need more support in using it. Maybe make the functions more obvious. Maybe have more tooltips. Maybe uh, people making errors need help to go back over it. So you've really got to delve in and go, right, what's dragging the score down? And that's a very easy thing to do, very effective. So um, that's visualizing that. And that might be enough. And you know what? If that's what you're doing, you really won't need 35 people. 15 will probably give you enough insight. Um, but that only tells us what things are like now. Um, I mentioned you could do a bar chart now, another one six months time. But is that really the best way of doing things? Um, well, not really, because you get small changes between bars one and bars two. And you go, oh, I see. It's changed. It's better. It's worse. Now, you might only have gone up, you know, two SUS points over 100 and go, ah, it's better. Well, maybe that's just chance. Now, maybe you've got people who are very optimistic and very um, insightful. Maybe there's a small group of people who are really, really loving your design, and that's drawing the average up. So to get over this, we need statistics. Now, I said some people listen to the podcast and go, oh, God, no, statistics, that's, that's really scary territory. And you know what? I can totally empathize with that. When I started statistics, it was really scary. Um, which is why I started out saying, you know, YouTube channel, you know, watch my videos, read the Tower Statistics and find a good book. That's the best way of doing things. But statistics, once you get your head around it, are really actually quite achievable. Everyone can learn how to do them. I'm not going to go into exactly how to do them today. You know, the audio format doesn't really go with that. Just going to talk generally about some things that you can do. So the first one is a t-test. So a t-test is when you have two groups of people. That can be people today and people in six months time. Could be people using website A and website B. Two groups. And you need a single scale measure. What is a scale measure? It's anything which is number between two points. So SUS is scale because you go between zero and 100. It's scale. So you put in all your numbers from um, group one, put numbers from group two and say, hey, what's the difference? I'll link in the show notes below about how to do a t-test. So lots of links today. Um, see the video on YouTube. And that would just say, hey, we have a significant difference between the groups. Something has changed. What's changed? Now, people often go, ah, oh, significance, p-value. Yes, I know what this is. It's um, if your significance is below... Uh, 0.05 is a difference. Now, quite easily, people get misled by this. They look at one statistic and go, ah, oh, significance, 0.05. Okay, but this score over here, this other test, significance is 0.001. Therefore, the difference in groups is more pronounced, it's bigger um, in that 0.001 second test. That's completely wrong. All a p-value tells you, the significance value is, is there a difference? It doesn't tell you how big it is. It just says there's a difference. So how do we know in your t-test the difference between a small difference in groups and a big one? This is where something called the effect size comes in, um, commonly described through the ETA squared um, statistic, which again, links in the video below. <laughs> and if you've got a very large ETA score, so like, you know, 0.8, that's going to get on scale of 0 to 1. That's going to mean, yeah, there's a big difference. Something's really going on here. And that's something you really want to pay attention to. And 
if you got a small difference, like 0.01, go, yeah, there's a difference, but I think we can treat these two groups as the same. So you'd run your t-test, you'd look if it's their certificate outcome, so below 0.05, you'd look at the effect size and go, yep, the effect size is nice and big and appropriate. And then you go, right, this has given us permission to look at the differences between group A and group B. What's the difference in average scores, which is the mean difference? So the mean difference is five. So we can say with confidence that the satisfaction has increased by a large amount, and this represents five points. And you can go and put that in a bar chart or a line chart over time. Now, what happens if you've got more than two groups and you've got maybe three groups? You've got three websites to check or three groups of users. You'd need to do a test called ANOVA, which is analysis of variance. Very similar to a t-test, but it lets you have more groups. But what if you go, well, I'm not looking at the whole score because t-test ANOVA, this whole SUS score out of 100. I want to know, firstly, is there a change you know, between our two groups? Um, and then what part of the SUS scale is driving that? What part of the satisfaction is bringing it up or bringing it down? For that, you'd have to look at Manover. And no, I'm not going to get into Manover today because we're getting very numbers and statistical, but there is that out there. So if you want to know more, I recommend Googling Manover. And hey, maybe I'll make a podcast on this. No, go into the dive of that. Anyhow, bring it back to something which is a bit more manageable for the average mortal. So we've done t-tests, we've found these things, we've got the effect size, we've got, yep, here we are, we can deal with this. How would you report this? Now, there is a really difficult thing about stats. They're written by mathematicians and not written by the average guy on the street. So when you think about writing them up, if to be technically correct, you end up putting lots of numbers into um, a sentence. So I'm going to read one out here, which I paired earlier, which is something I actually used in my previous research. So a paired sample t-test was conducted on the differences between students' SUS score for the Yale Art School and uh, University of Arts London websites. There was a statistically significant increase in SUS scores between website one and website two. And then I start going to numbers and things. No, so when you're reporting things, just start by going, look, I did a test between these two websites, tell satisfaction. There was a significant difference in the SUS score between website one and website two. The mean, the effect size was large. I then put the number in. The mean difference was 20 points or whatever it happened to be. This means that whatever, you know, um, that means that satisfaction has increased by 20 points in the last year. Or you could say, um, Website B is has a 20% point um, increased satisfaction over website A. Therefore, website B is a better design to go for. You know, just keep it down simple. Um, you can look at lots of examples of how to write up t-tests and bits and get super complex. And I know I'm um, guilty of that. Look up my YouTube channel. You'll see that. But just try and keep it as simple as possible. Um, don't try and bombard your reader with facts because every time they see something really complex, they might think you're intelligent. But they also think, I can't bother with this. Keep it simple. So what happens when we've done all this? Okay, let's bring it back to the start. So if you manage to pull this off, you know, you go out there, 
you choose a test such as SUS, you sample people, you say, here's my survey, fill it in, you get the data, calculate it properly. You can use descriptives and bar charts, line charts to see what's going on. You can look at individual questions, say, hey, which part of my satisfaction needs to be improved? You could do a t-test or to tell two groups apart and say, is something going on here? And by the way, if you had a non-significant difference or a very small effect size, you go, actually, they're both the same. We can choose either one or nothing has changed. But yeah, you do that. You have a metric which you can have confidence in. You can have confidence in the measured satisfaction that your users have. You've got a confidence that this is where we are now. And we know we're not where we want to be, but we know a bit more about how to get there. We have have targets we can reach. We can say we're going to increase the score, this part of the SUS score to an average of four. That's where we want to be. We want to increase the whole SUS score by an average up to 70. That's where we want to be. Um, And we're going to do it in this way. When you are testing two websites, you have confidence that website two actually is better. In what way? Why is it better? And then that drives the agile design forward. You can report this to management in a way that they understand because, you know, you, you could measure success in business as being increase in profits. Well, that, that's difficult to measure on a prototype, a demo, because you've got to push it live to really get that going. And that's risky. So that's not so good. And by the way, also, other factors increase um, the uh, profitability websites. You might be selling jumpers, you know, and you're expecting whatever sales based on last year's um, records, but this year it's really warm. People aren't buying jumpers, sales are down, and they say, well, your website's really bad because sales aren't good. No, no, it's the weather causing that. So satisfaction is a great way of saying, look, we know it's better. This is something we know, which is not purely based on numbers, which is a bit fickle. Oh, sorry, income, which is a bit fickle. So you can report this, you can show it, and you can really be strategic about what needs to be done over time. And also designers can start to prioritize the task and really start to make things that are better. Really start to understand how to increase the satisfaction, increase the ability of the website to do what it's trying to do. So that's where we are today. I really hope that this has been a insightful um, look at metrics, I really hope this has been an insightful look about satisfaction, and I really hope this has given you confidence to start thinking about going further with satisfaction. Use your interviews, use Think Cloud, but also think about measuring it. Think about bringing this numerical item into your discipline, expanding your skills, going out there, getting more training, and embracing this to become a better, more effective designer. So if you found today's useful, please um, subscribe to the podcast and give us a review on iTunes. Um, if you're listening to this on YouTube, please like, comment, subscribe. You can follow us on YouTube at Design eLearning Tutorials, on Twitter at UserGenDesign. I'm Dr. Chris Parker. This has been the Usability Podcast. Thank you.